Appalachia. Nobody truly knows where the word comes from, yet everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Everything from mountaintop beauty and deep forest to meth heads and extreme prejudice. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet to the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed downright unbelievable and tormenting historical atrocities. They have lived through everything from hauntings to cryptic creatures that show up and wreak havoc on their homesteads. The worst creature, though, may be man himself. I, being born and raised in these Appalachian Mountains, know that nothing is beyond a pale of belief, no matter how fantastic it sounds. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has a long legacy of unending tales and adventures. Come with me as I take you on a fantastic journey through these mountains, where things are not always as they seem. I guarantee you it won't be anything like you expected. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Season 2 of Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How you doing, my good friends? Happy Easter to you and them. And thank you for stopping by today. Yes, uh, the phrase you and them is right out of Appalachia. It means you and yours. Since it's Easter, I thought it a good time to look at a few things. Now, since the beginning of time, mankind has tried to interpret what the Creator asked of them. We have all read scripture from the Bible and tried to untangle its meaning. There are also, those who walk among us that think they have it all figured out. Such was the case back in the 1800s in Fayette, Maine. The little town and surrounding area had originally been settled by those known as Puritans. Puritans were a group back in the, then who uh, were sure they had it all figured out. They had left England in the 1600s because they disagreed with the king, who also thought he had it all figured out, only to come to America to do to folks the same exact thing the king did to them in the name of God. Write laws based on their interpretation of what they thought God might want. Now, I'm not going to sit here and judge anybody. Well, heck, maybe that's exactly what I'm doing, but to fully understand the Bible and what is meant by it all, I for one would think that folks would, who well, especially the ones who think they got it all figured out, would at least want to read the whole thing in its entirety, which is really impossible to do when one is reading the King James Version, because when the Bible was translated from its original languages, which were Hebrew, Arabic, and Greek, there's a whole bunch of context, meaning, and connotation that drastically changes with it. Not to mention that when the translation happened, there were no fewer than 14 books just thrown out and forgot about 
Now, to me, that speaks volumes about those who did the translation in the first place. Anytime that a governor figure uh, has control over this type thing, just like the good King James did, I have to wonder if those books were thrown out for the purposes of using the translated scripts to better control the subject of his kingdom. There's another question that comes to mind, too. When mankind took the word from God himself and tried to write it all down, how accurately did he get it? After all, we can look at the verses that took Elijah, or tell of Elijah, being taken up in a fairy, fiery chariot, and think, uh, well, was it actually a chariot, or was that as close as mankind could describe what he was seeing that took Elijah up? Heck, folks, maybe it was a Tesla, and the writer just didn't know what the heck to call it except for a chariot. What if we saw something that we couldn't describe in the vernacular of what we say today? Example being, the folks that have seen UFOs. They were called flying saucers when I was a little feller. Seems a bit outdated now, don't it? My overall point of this is to simply say that maybe folks should really think more about the final command of Jesus, which was, love others as I have loved you, before they go out writing and enforcing laws based on the letter of the Bible. So come on in, take your shoes off, set a spell, and let me tell you why it's a really bad idea to do anything else. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Emmeline Batchelor was born in Fayette, Maine on January 30th, 1816 to Aaron and Sophia who were farmers in the area. Now, we already know that 1816 was a horrible year for crops in the country. That was the year without a summer, as we discussed back in the 1800 and froze to death episode. Emmeline was one of five children, so I can't imagine how difficult the times were that year. I can say that 1816 wasn't the only bad year for Fayette, Maine. There was 1821, which for some reason rivaled 1816 in the weather patterns. Back at the time, church was a huge part of life for folks there in Fayette. It wasn't necessarily ran by the Puritan rule that had settled the area back in the 1600s, but there was a good retention of those rules held as beliefs by the locals as being good and virtuous. So, they lived by these rules for the most part. For example, if one was found to be in a state of inebriation, so to speak, he wouldn't face charges by law, but instead he would be barred from church, excommunicated being the word most often used. This meaning that he, the church would no longer have anything to do with him, which meant that anybody else who wished to remain in the church had better not have anything to do with him either. Why was this so important to the citizens of Fayette? Well... Most folks today would just tell the church to go jump off a high cliff without a safety net. But back then, government didn't provide any help to anybody who 
may have fallen on hard times. So the churches provided a whole lot of people with a whole lot of help in their times of need. Well, you may wonder how churches were able to do such for people. I can answer that one too. Each church member was expected to pay their tithes regularly without exception. Failure to do so would, well, you guessed it, be grounds for excommunication. Emmeline's family was no exception to this. They attended church religiously. They were considered fine, upstanding members, which was a very good thing in those days. Emmeline, it was said, was even a Sunday school teacher for the young children, a job which she excelled in. By 1829, when Emmeline was 13 years old, a company came to a nearby town and built what one might call a textile factory. What the company did was take the raw wool and cotton and spin it into usable product to be used in making clothing and to sew and help make thread out of it. Now, the company knew that the good people of Fayette had fallen on hard times and had yet to fully recover, so... They went about the townsfolk asking each family member if, or each family if they had an able-bodied young person who would want to come to work for them. Their presence in the town was a much welcome thing as they offered a means for farmers to recover some of their losses. They offered the workers who would come to work for them a place to lodge and the families who would allow them to go a part of the worker's salary which would be sent to them on a weekly basis on payday. So when they came to Emmeline's house, it was decided that Emmeline would be the one that would go to work for the company, which she gladly did to help her family out. Now, Emmeline was just the kind of person that when she took on something, she put her all into it. That combined with, combined with the fact that she was a beautiful girl to start with soon got the attention of management. Now, we who have experience with company towns and the Appalachians can clearly see where this might be heading, can't we? but I digress. Clearly, if the company had just provided a job to the workers that didn't come with room and board, this whole thing might have turned out a little bit different. But the company wanted to get as much of their product to the consumer as fast as they could, so they opted to cut out travel time, which back then was considerable because there was nothing but a horse and buggy. That's if you were lucky. Otherwise, maybe you had a mule or you used your own two feet. That in itself complicated production for the uh, company. After all, how could a worker perform his best work if he's worn out trying to get there? Not to mention the difficulty and danger in traveling back and forth. Who's to say that one of the workers wouldn't get injured or maybe even killed trying to get to work? No, sir, the company needed everybody there every day to perform at optimum production levels, so they opted to provide room and board. As we said, Emmeline attracted attention of management, particularly one young manager who knew better than what he was doing. And it wasn't long before Emmeline found herself pregnant at just 13 years of age. It was decided, and I'm thinking that it wasn't Emmeline's decision, that the baby would be taken and given to a family who would adopt him. Yes, it was a baby boy, and that's just what happened. He was given to a family in another county without Emmeline even knowing whether the baby was a boy or a girl. They just shanked it up directly away from her, and that was that. After all that, Emmeline continued to work at the factory for a few more years. She kept all of this to herself. She was just 13 years old and didn't fully understand the implications of what happened to her. Back then, it was taboo to discuss anything like that. 
By the time she returned home, it was said that she was distant and never took up any relations with anybody. She simply got up in the morning, worked her father's field, returned home in time for supper, and then returned to her home to get ready, or in her room to get ready to do it all again the next day. Stick around, folks. This all has a point. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend with Larry Bentley. Now, Emeline, yeah, she would still go to church, but it wasn't the same Emeline that everybody knew. Her family became concerned with her, but now she was pushing 30 years old and considered to be an old maid. Back then, folks, that was of great concern. Finally, the day came when the state sent a young man to the area. His purpose was to see oversee a construction of a new road to help serve the area. Emlyn's family was delighted when she took up with this young man. It seemed like maybe she had pulled herself out of whatever funk she'd been in and seemed really connect with this young man. Wasn't long before they were an item. Emlyn was happier now than they'd ever seen her. The ice to the cake. Uh, well, it came when the young man asked Emlyn to marry him and they tied the knot not long after. The first year of their marriage went by without a single hitch. It seemed that the two of them were simply made for each other. They lived in a house right across the street from her parents. Her family watched as Emmeline and her husband worked their little piece of ground, and they were so happy for her. Finally, Emmeline's husband, who is shown in the records that I found to be named Leonard, invited his parents over to visit. They lived so far away that they couldn't attend a wedding, and they heard so many good things about Leonard's wife that they couldn't wait to meet her. His parents showed up on an afternoon a few days later, and Leonard met him outside. He walked him in to meet Emmeline, who was busy at the wood stove preparing a meal for him. As Emmeline turned around to meet him, her world came crashing down. She recognized him, and they recognized her. They'd met before. They met when Emmeline had her baby. They were the ones who had adopted him. I'm sure that she thought that uh, it just couldn't be, but sure enough, Emmeline had met and unknowingly married her own son. What in the world was she going to do now? Not so much about the marriage. Obviously, that had to be done away with, but there are some things about to come out that would make her life a living hell. And come out they did. Leonard's parents made sure of it before she could even get herself together to go to church to plead her case. She was immediately excommunicated. As far as the church was concerned, she was dead, which meant that she was dead to everybody around her. She was left all alone to fend for herself. After all, that's what the church's interpretation of the Bible said to do, right? Leonard, well, nobody ever heard a thing from him or his parents again. They just jumped up and left her in a torrent of hate. Now, hardly anybody visited Emmeline, and all she could do was to try to eke out a living by growing her own food. She lived there alone and watched as her parents' coffins were carried from the house where she used to live. Her parents had died one at a time, and she wasn't allowed to have any part of the mourning process either. 
Nobody in neither funeral procession even looked in her direction as she watched them pass from her front porch. There was one lone visitor that came by occasionally. Her name was Nettie Mitchell. Nettie was a very young girl as Emily was growing old. She would go over to Emily's house when she saw her out, where she would make Nettie a cup of tea and they would sit and talk. None of it ever made sense to Nettie as to exactly what was going on, but she enjoyed visiting Emily. Life continued on for Emily until the winter of 1897, which came early. That after yet another awful growing season in Fayette. Nettie had, hadn't seen much of Emily during the past summer, but that wasn't really uncommon. Sometimes Emily just kept to herself and just not come out sometimes probably because she had been so shunned by everybody. Finally grown concerned for Emily, a man who drove by the house on his way to work every day noticed that the yard looked to be in disarray. He stopped by to check on Emily, and I guess he'd better be careful of her. Maybe he'd get caught and excommunicated next. But he knocked on the door and got no answer. He could hear a faint moaning coming from inside, though. After breaking down the door, he found Emily laying on the floor. She barely weighed anything. He picked her up, laid her on her bed, and hurried off to find a doctor. First house he came to, he stopped and asked him to go over and help her while he ran for a doctor. They flat out refused because of who she was. Second house he came by was Nettie's house. Nettie's mother rushed over to Emily's side and watched helplessly as the life left her body. By the time the doctor arrived, Emily was dead. The doctor, after looking at her and checking around the house, said that Emmeline had literally starved to death. The only food found in the house was some cornmeal, which was stuck in the seams of a box in which it was kept. This, folks, was the direct result of what we were discussing in the opening. This story, as near as I could research it, is true. If not for Nettie Mitchell, Emmeline's friend, the story might have been lost to history. Nettie wasn't about to let that happen. She told everybody she could about the shame of it all. Those who had it all figured out, those who were so sure that they were doing what God Almighty had told them to do, had just stood aside and allowed a helpless elderly lady to literally starve to death right in front of them, all while ignoring the final command of Jesus himself. Jesus didn't say love those who you agree with, those who have the same color skin as you, Those who have the same sexual orientation as you, those who vote the same as you do in elections. I guess it's just so simple that some can't get their heads around it, but simple it is. You know, I remember a few years back when everybody was wearing these WWJD t-shirts and bracelets. WWJD stood for what would Jesus do? Well, I think it's pretty clear and pretty simple. After all, he himself told us, love others as I have loved you. Now, I'm not a preacher and don't claim to be, but maybe if that was the part of the Bible that we were a little more concerned with, who knows? There might be a lot less trouble in the world today. I hope you got something out of our story today. When I heard it, I just had to tell it. If you did, please rate and review the podcast, and don't forget to follow, please. If you'd like more episodes of all three podcasts, uh, consider becoming a subscriber at $1.99 a month for extra episodes of all three. And I'll be uploading some new ones shortly. Got them all researched and ready to go, so 
they should be up here before long. Please join us on Facebook group Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend Podcast where we can discuss everything Appalachian or whatever else you'd like to talk about. I'll be back soon with another Appalachian Murder Mystery or Legend. World of Murder Mystery or Legend and another Deviant Report real soon. Happy Easter to y'all and I'll see you then.